0: Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name is David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me once again today. We speak In today's episode to a real expert in public speaking and communication, both an author and an educator. Her name is Gabrielle Dolan, and she is a very highly sought-after keynote speaker, educator, and author. Gabrielle has worked with thousands of high-profile leaders from around the world and helped several of Australia's top 50 companies and multinationals to speak like a human. They've included Telstra, EY, Accenture, Australia Post, ANZ, the Obama Foundation, but again, trying to wrestle with this challenge of trying to get people to speak in language that connects with audiences. She holds a master's degree in management and leadership from Swinburne University, an associate diploma in education and training from the University of Melbourne, and is a graduate of the Harvard Kennedy School of Executive Education in both the art and practice of leadership development and also Women in Power, Leadership in a New World. She has written a couple of very successful books, including Real Communication, How to Be You and to lead True, which was a finalist in the Australian Business Leadership Book Awards in 2019, and her other published books include Stories for Work, The Essential Guide to Business Storytelling, and Storytelling for Job Interviews, and plenty of other papers and blog posts and other things, so there's lots to find out about Gabrielle Dolan online, but we have her on the line today to speak to her today, and Gabrielle, thanks very much for joining us on GovComs.
1: Thank you, David. What an introduction! I'm A little exhausted <laughs> just listening to it myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been busy, haven't you? And I'm I'm fascinated to see because we did have you on the podcast way back in 2017. After I saw you speak at an IABC conference in Singapore, and I was struck then about you know this notion of storytelling, and indeed that you know your take on storytelling, and, and you know, and really explaining that storytelling is not just about the hero's journey and there are all different types of stories that can be used in, in different circumstances. But sort of a couple of years on, where is, where is this whole storytelling thing sort of landed? Is it, is it as topical as it was back then?
1: Uh, Look, it's probably more topical. So I've certainly, I've been doing this almost about 15 years to the day. I I left my corporate gig at National Australia Bank in February 2005. So uh, coming up to 15 years, I've been doing this. And I would say, you know, 15 years ago, trying to convince people that storytelling was a legitimate, you know, communication skill and leadership competency was a pretty hard sell. But certainly over you know the last five, six, seven years, it's been increasingly seen that way. And the last couple of years, it's almost been like an explosion of of people wanting to do storytelling. So um, rightly so, it's seen as a skill. My my fear that it's doesn't be then seen as a fad where everyone just goes oh let's start telling stories and then don't tell them properly and um, then sort of think well we we've done that and it didn't work because I think storytelling is a you know, it's just part of the way we communicate as humans. So I think as business people just need to get better at it.
0: And what are the challenge challenges or the most common challenges that you find when you speak to people about storytelling? That Where, are the, where is the resistance that people have to using it as a way of, you know, creating connection uh, and engagement with people?
1: Yeah, look, David, I must say the resistance is getting less and less and less. So, again, years ago I would come across people, you know, senior people that would say I don't need storytelling um, because I just sort of, you know, I tell people what do they do and they do it. So I think, you know, I've all often said, well, good luck with that strategy. That's not going to work for long. Um, there would be often pushback um, from certain parts of the business. So, like finance people, for example, would – would think that they don't have a need for story because they're all about the numbers. But interestingly, I'm getting a lot of interest um, from finance people who are realising that to help people understand the numbers better, um, perhaps they need stories to do it. So I I am getting less resistance. I mean, you'll still come across the odd person that thinks all you need is logic and logic alone to influence people. Um, But it's it's getting less and less, I must admit, which is good.
0: And so from, from your point of view, what, what, are the, what is at its essence effective storytelling? When you, you sit down with people and, and you start them through your training, where, where do you take them and how, how do you get them to engage around starting to acquire this skill and being deliberate in their acquisition of this particular skill?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot of things I take them through in my training, you know, first of all, helping them understand why storytelling is powerful. But I guess the process of taking them from, Oh, I don't even have I don't even have any stories, or I wouldn't even know where to start. Is helping them get really clear on their message. So a lot of the times I'm brought into organisations, you know, perhaps when they're rolling out a new change or a new strategy or or new values, and um, story works great for you know any changes or values. So I mean, let's take for example a value where you know a company might have a value of integrity or respect. And I take the individuals through the thing, well, what does that mean to you? What does it personally mean to you? What does it personally mean to you? And so they have real clarity on what the actual message is and then taking them through the process of how they can share personal stories to communicate that more effectively. So a lot of people might go, I already share stories in business, but they're normally work-related stories, so case studies or client examples of whatever, which are are all still valid and important, but helping them realise the power of sharing a personal story to get the message across, and one of the the few things I lo- love—well, not the few things—one of the few things I love about my job is when I take people through this process, and at the end, people say to me, "I've never ever thought of sharing a personal story at work, or I just never thought we were allowed to." And what they mean by that, you know, because these are normally senior people is I just didn't think it would be a respectable way to do it. So giving people, A, the permission to do it, showing them that it works and it's professional and then giving them the skills how to do it, um, that's a really satisfying part of my role. So that
0: goes to this issue of emotion, doesn't it, and and connection yeah. and, and creating that sort of engagement. How do you sort of train people to to know where to go to in terms of that you know, how far, how vulnerable to make themselves in a, in a work environment. Because as you say, often it could be, it, it's very difficult for people to really open up in a, in, in a professional work environment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it can be. And what I think sometimes um, when people are a little bit scared for want of a better word of storytelling is because they've been told or they've heard that storytelling is all about sharing your vulnerable stories. Now, while while they can be powerful, especially the more senior you are, senior you are, they they're not always about that. So it could be just a you know a simple story of, you know something you did on the weekend, or it could be a story of when you've, you know, stuffed up as a kid or made a mistake. And so at some level, there's a little bit of vulnerability, almost admitting that you know that you you got it wrong. But it's not about opening up and sharing your most darkest fears, and you know (laughs) something that makes you really uncomfortable. Um, My one of my rules is, as the storyteller, you determine what stories you share and to whom. So. You might be really comfortable sharing a really vulnerable story, you know, in a coaching session or with your team. You may not be so sharing it in front of two hundred people on stage. And and my my advice to be is don't do it if if you don't feel comfortable doing it.
0: But in terms of identifying what stories, you know, create meaning for. Uh, the particular audience, or what stories are most appropriate, how how do you guide people to to make those choices?
1: Yeah, look, David, I take them through a process of helping them understand that you know their day to day stories are the most powerful. So it's it's not about your big aha moments. It's not about climbing Mount Everest or recovering from cancer or you know getting divorced <laughs> or whatever. It's it's not about that. It's yeah, mind you, they can still they could be still good stories. But it's your, your day-to-day one. So a lot of people come in and and think, they think a few things. They think I don't even have any really good stories because I'm just normal. So it's trying to convince them that normal's good. They also come in with this thing that no one would be interested in hearing my stories. Like, you know, why would why would someone be interested in hearing a story about my kid to link it to this message? One of, the, one of the powerful things that I do in my workshops is that they all actually get to share a story with, you know, their peers, so in small groups. And what that does, besides giving them the opportunity to practice their story, they actually experience the power of it. So they're sitting there thinking no one would be interested in my story, but they've listened to all their peers and they've got all those stories were really interesting and they and you know sometimes people hear a story and go wow that that had a real impact on me so they actually experience how powerful these day-to-day stories can be so I, so i do take them through that process and and i you know i spend a bit of time on making sure i call it the emotional matching of a story so you don't want to have a really emotional story you know perhaps surviving cancer or or losing a loved one to cancer and share that to communicate a business message around, you know, we're changing, um, you know, from using black pens to blue pens, (laughs) I think. Um, So you because that that would come across as manipulation. So that's the one thing you've got to be really mindful of is that you're not doing this to manipulate. You're you're doing it to influence. So it's absolutely um, a way to better communicate and influence, but there's a very big difference between influence and manipulation
0: and so in terms of that storytelling and you know trying to create engagement and connection with the audience is is it your experience that it's the telling of a story which really opens up the senses of the people who are to receive the story that you're about to tell that it's once it's a story it's it's much more accessible for them to to understand the point of it
1: yeah, there's a couple of things a story does. So if you're if you're telling a story, and and the premise of all this is if it's done well, um, if you if you're telling a story that's that goes for fifteen minutes and is boring, then it's not going to work. But if you're doing a story that is told well, what it does is people can visualise it, um, and they have an emotional connection to it. And when I say emotional, it's it's not as if they have to get emotional or got to be crying or sad or love. It's just an emotional connection so it sort of taps into the heart and we often think when in business we're trying to communicate logical stuff so we've got to you know that's all saying we've got to get it through their head and we try to communicate that through logic when the fastest way to the head is actually through the heart so if you can share a story that taps into emotion even the slightest little bit of emotion it not only helps people understand it better but they're going to remember it, and they're going to, and because they remember it, they're going to easily be able to retell it with other, with to other people, without losing its meaning. I mean, I, I would put a question to you that sometimes you could think of conferences you went to or presentations you saw five, ten, twenty years ago, and think the only thing you can remember is the story someone told. So we're just we're just hardwired to tell stories, and we're hardwired to listen to stories, and and they're the ones we remember.
0: And how then, or what is the skill of being able to wrap a story around the the logic uh, and, and facts? How, how do they come to, to play together to be most effective?
1: Yeah, look, and, and I'm a big, you know, you still need all the logic and facts when you're, you know, you're communicating messages. My advice, though, is you don't Combine them together you you think of your okay So if you're trying to get a message across you're going okay So I've got all the logic and facts and figures that's important that can support that message and what story could i use that would all that could also support the message so then you make a decision do i lead with the data and go with the story and go back to the data or did i lead with the story and then go to the data to back it up but my advice is don't combine the two um a lot of the times when we combine the two and if you think uh, sometimes a case study a case study probably falls into this criteria but what we tend is once we start bringing in facts and figures and statistics into a story, it's going to lose its emotional um, connection. So my advice is tell the story and treat it as a separate thing as a story and then you've got your data and facts and logic to back it up. So I, I sort of think um, story and data is like your Batman and Robin and they're they've known as a dynamic duo for a reason, But but try to keep them a little bit separate.
0: So in terms of that, like you mentioned earlier um, in our chat that you're seeing finance people who are coming to you and saying, hey, I, you know, I want to create meaning um, yep. from the data. So how, how does that work? The fact that you know, they have data, that's what they, they're talking about. How are they using the two without mixing them up?
1: Yeah, look, there's a couple of ways um, finance people can do it. So if, if it's just a pure reporting, you know, if, you, if they've got to go up and do a report. Now, now the reality is, if if the only thing you need to do is inform people, then you probably don't need a story. If, if you're going there and just giving the latest monthly sales figures, you don't need a story for that. You just, just give me the latest figures. Um, but most of the times, people are still trying to influence an outcome. So what they can do is they can produce they can talk about figures so you know we've had 12 percent increase in whatever and then perhaps they can share a story about a customer for example that's benefited from that so it can be working in that way other times they might be trying to influence an outcome like they need more resources they need the business to change priorities um they need the business to focus over one thing than the other then then that's when they could share stories to influence that outcome. Um, obviously, they've still got all the, the logical reasons why we need to do it. Hmm.
0: So in terms of your most recent work, um, the, the book Real Communication, which I have to say I haven't read as yet, but I understand that it, what it does is connect sort of authentic leadership and communications. What, what inspired you to, to write this book?
1: Yeah, look, it was interesting. What I noticed when I started writing this book probably about 18 months ago was there was just a – I noticed with all the work I did with my corporates and business people, there was just a change in expectations of how employees wanted to be led and how they wanted to be communicated to. And what I saw and what I'm seeing a lot more of, this real – need for people to want to work with authentic leaders. as And, you know, again, you know, leaders that go, you know what, I don't have the answers. Leaders that go, you know what, I've stuffed up and apologize. So, you know, I often say that real leaders aren't perfect and perfect leaders aren't real. So I think gone are the, t- if, if you're still thinking because you have a position of authority, you need to have all the answers and you need to be bulletproof and not show vulnerability. I think that's a really old style of leadership because people are responding to a more authentic way of leadership and also with the communication they're wanting and I think you know they're just wanting it to be more transparent they're wanting it to be quicker um, they want to have input into it so we're seeing you know years and years ago where most communication in businesses would be, would be very top down and it would take it had the like this cascading approach and I often liken it to, you know, the champagne tower. So, yeah. you know, the the top rungs of the champagne tower get all the champagne, and then just all the dribbles go to the bottom. And that's that's what would happen in um, traditional communications, which means people on the front line either were not getting getting accurate communications, or it was just taking way too long to get to them. So. You know you what we've seen and we've seen this with you high profile ceos um you know shane elliott at anz for example he he posts he does facebook videos and puts them straight onto his facebook page as a way of communicating so it, it reaches everyone at the same time so i saw this happening i also saw the rise of jargon and acronyms i think we're heavily coming out of um you know the rise of technology and that and that's You know, jargon and acronyms really has um, some significant consequences to the way we communicate.
0: Okay, well, there's a couple of things in that. So do you believe that it is the impact of technology which is leading to this transformation in effective communication styles or the requirement to change your communication style?
1: Well, no, I don't think technology is doing that. I think um, just employees and, you know, I've been saying the younger generation for about a decade, but, you know, the younger generation now is really anyone under 45, which is like about 80% of your workforce, are just wanting a different way of communicating. Um, you know, they're seeing through all the BS. They they want it to be more real for want of a better word. So I see that happening. I think what is happening with technology, um, you know, with agile and everything like that, we're seeing a huge amount of new terminology come into the way we communicate and that, and people are, and look, jargon's always been there and acronyms have always been there, but I've just noticed a lot more jargon and acronyms entering the way we communicate. And unless everyone knows what they mean, then it's actually having a really negative impact on the way we communicate.
0: It's fascinating you say that because only about a week or so ago, I was reading something around uh, a product and and product, you know, I'm not under 45. So when I think about product, product to me is, you know, it's a thing. Whereas in technology, a product is almost like a project or the old word was project. Now it's called product. And the and the language around it, I've, it took me a while to actually understand just exactly what this new meaning is of the word product. You know, as a product manager yeah. in a technology company, it's quite a different thing.
1: Yeah, well, David, I'm glad you explained that to me because about six months ago, I did about three <laughs> speaking gigs for this product group, and I and I just sort of went, I'm, I'm still like, I kept thinking, I'm still not sure what they do because they, <laughs> no one was actually making a product. Um, and I, I just I just thought, oh, well, I'm going to talk about stories, so I don't really have to fully understand what they're doing. But yeah, that that's exactly that's exactly right. So, um, but that's be, the, the point, th- isn't
0: it? That we're that yeah. we're we're not sort of taking the time to actually create meaning around new terminology, and we just assume that everyone knows exactly what they're they're talking about.
1: Yeah, we do, and and we use it with words like that. and We assume, and then acronyms are really bad because the reality is. For every acronym we say, there are multiple variations of, of what that means. Um, you know, SME. We talk about SMEs, and you yeah. know, is it subject matter expert or small to medium enterprise. Yeah. And like I remember having a conversation with a woman, and for and after about ten minutes, I was thinking, <laughs> why does it feel like we are talking about something completely different? And.
0: You when were said, it completely cross. We were, purposes.
1: we were because I was talking about subject matter expert, <laughs> and she was talking about small to medium enterprise.
0: We do a lot of work in um, in uh, the defence department, and that is the land of of the. Acronym. Oh, it's you know, <laughs> you're knee deep in it, um, and it does. It's actually quite exhausting when you go home from work when you've been out there for a couple of days because you you it it takes a lot out of you to try to keep up with all of the acronyms so how how do you improve communication in an environment where the bias is to create an acronym and the bias is to assume that everyone knows what you're talking about how do you how, how do you change that
1: yeah so it's your comment before about you come home feeling a bit exhausted is spot on because when you're using acronyms so if i'm using an acronym to you I'm putting all the onus on you to do the interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, so first of all, it might just be a really quick, oh yeah, that that quick what you do. But a lot of times, it was it, it's actually making it harder to understand the message. So, in in one way, it's it's actually just quite lazy communication because all the onus is on the other person. Um, the the problem for you using acronyms is you're making an assumption that they know what it what it means, and if they don't know what it means um then you know they could be they could be agreeing to something you have said and go off and do an action that's that's wrong because they've had the misinterpret of the acronym so my part of my message and part of my speaking and writing is to raise awareness to the problem um because uh, it's we we do have an addiction. So I don't I don't have a problem with acronyms if everyone understands what they mean. You know, we go to the we go to the ATM. We say ATM. Yeah. We don't say automatic teller machine. But the amount of people that still say ATM machine. Um and and we say PIN, you know, and again, we don't say personal identification number, but again, the amount of people that say PIN number. Yep. So but we say so but people, you know, I think you confidently know people know what they they mean. But if you're not confident, then you should be actually saying out the acronym. And we've just become addicted just because something has three words to it does not mean it needs to be reduced to an acronym. And if you're only saying it once or twice or three times, just say it. Um, so unless you're confident everyone knows what it means, I think it's been, um, it's been inefficient and ineffective communication
0: have you or do you have an example of a big complex organization because this podcast is largely for government communication uh professionals who are trying to improve in what they do is is there an example out there of an organization a big complex organization that has set in place a policy or done something that's been able to you know Uh, ensure that the productivity impacts of the use of acronyms is is reduced because they have policies or procedures that uh, outlaw them, I suppose.
1: Yeah, look, the only two really high profile ones I know of, and this probably comes down to the individual leaders, is Richard Branson and Elon Musk. They've taken a really strong stand on not using acronyms. And I think, I don't know if this is true, but I think um, any acronym that is produced, Elon Musk has to agree that it's an <laughs> acceptable acronym. So they're the two well-profile ones I know. I do know a lot of leaders, and th- and this is what I mean. It, you know, if wherever you work, whether you work for a large organisation or a government organisation, you don't have to wait. For someone to say, let's reduce the acronyms. You can just take the lead, and you can take the lead with your team. I um, I worked with a woman once who uh, was she worked in you know in a corporate as a as a chief risk officer, and um, she moved to a university, so it was completely different industry. And um, in the first week, her team had produced this ten page report that they were going to send out to everyone, and. It was uh, it was full of acronyms, but the final the last page listed all the acronyms. Yeah, my client said she had to take off the rip out the last page and refer to it all the time, and just thought this is ridiculous. Now, she she what she can do is she can influence her, herself and she can influence her team. So she got the team to rewrite the the ten page report without any acronyms which meant that the final page no longer was required. And guess how many pages the report was? Ten pages. So we're not saving any paper. We're not saving any keystrokes. We're actually making our communication more effective. So um, I, I think you can lead by example. Um, and and if you're working in an area where people are constantly using acronyms, you can say, uh, what does that mean? Or when you say that, does it mean this and say the acronym?
0: Good advice. And I think that is, I think self-leadership, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. People yeah. can take it upon themselves and, and, and perhaps through uh, practice and demonstration that they perhaps build a reputation to, for being a very effective communicator because of that particular point that they yeah. refuse to use acronyms.
1: Absolutely. Um, and and on that I should say perhaps one of the most stupidest thing companies and organizations do to try to solve the acronym problem is they produce an acronym database that lists all the acronyms. Now, show me anyone that has stopped mid-conversation to go look up the acronym in the acronym <laughs> database. No one. No, and and it's still and it still doesn't change the problem if I say SME. What am I talking about? Because there's probably four or five versions of SME in that acronym database, which is probably called ADB.
0: (laughs) So listen, just before I let you go, as I say, this podcast is really all about trying to help people to become more effective, and you've given us some great advice there to people is just cut it out, that's easy. Yeah. Um, and I think hopefully a lot of people will go away and think, Righto, I'm going to commit that I'm not going to you know say it once and then you know turn it into an acronym and then refer to it as an acronym in you know, any sort of presentation. But what are what is sort of your hot tips, your, your sort of your best tips that people can you know as it relates to storytelling but effective communication? What are what are the things that you really the must-haves, the guiding principles to the Gabrielle Dolan effective communication, approach to effective communication.
1: Yeah, well, okay, it's a good question. I I think a couple of things. I think um, be really clear on your message you wanted to communicate um, and don't think, oh, I have 10 very important messages because they're not. um, Maybe only two or three are very important. um, So be clear on them. Also, really think about it from your audience's perspective. So, you know, are they are they going to potentially, um, you know, are they going to potentially think this is bad news or is there something going on in their world that this isn't even going to sink in? So I think be really clear. I think if you're experiencing that feeling where you feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall, like going, why don't they get it? Why don't they get it? That's when you go, maybe I could share a story to do get this across because throwing logic, more logic at a brick wall will not help you get through the brick wall. So um, it's thinking about how you can share a story and then showing some vulnerability. Again, vulnerability isn't letting it all hang out, but maybe just saying, you know, I was wrong, I stuffed up or I don't know the answer to this. And then, yeah, and finally just, just keep it real. Stop with all the crap and the jargon and stop trying to – sound more important than what you are and and just use real words
0: great advice great advice to uh, finish our discussion there today thank you very much Gabrielle that's uh, that that's wonderful where can people find out more of the wisdom of Gabrielle Dolan not just your books but where else can they find you if they need you to keynote at a, a conference or an event or a, a workshop or, or anything? How yeah, do people look, get the, in touch?
1: Yeah, look, the best the best place is the website, so gabrieldolan.com and, yeah, you can access the books, you can access my online programs, and you can certainly um, send me an inquiry for any um, either keynote presentation or, you know, half-day or full-day training workshops. I've got a couple of public workshops coming up in Australia in March in Melbourne, Sydney and Canberra, but I only run those once a year. The vast majority of my work is um, in-house tailored workshops.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you, Gabriel, for giving us some of your extremely valuable time this afternoon. And thanks to you, the audience. I know you will have got a lot out of that, this notion of simplicity, keeping it real, that last bit of advice, getting into the shoes of your audience and thinking about them. And again, that notion of like, you don't have to tell everybody everything and maybe there's not 10 pieces of that story just the bits that people can manage, just the bits that are really critical in order for you to be able to achieve whatever the objective is that you are seeking to achieve. So thank thank you so much to Gabrielle for her today and thank you to you, the audience, for coming back once again. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks' time. But until then, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovCom's podcast.